0: I ask your patience as I read this morning. Um, I somehow ended up with the scripture with the hard-to-pronounce names and the graphic violence. So, <laughs> so here we go. <laughs> Hebrews 11:32 through 34. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jethath, of David and Samuel, and the prophets. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Judges 4. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera who lived in Harosheth Hagoyim. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had 900 chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinom, from Kadesh Naphtali, and said to him, has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go, gather your men at Mount Tabor taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun, and I will draw out Sisera, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Keshan with his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, If you will go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up at his heels, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite had separated from the Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, the father in law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zanaman, which is near Kadesh. When Sisera was told that Barak, the son of Abinom, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera called out all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the men who were with him, from Harosheth Hagoyim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, "'Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hand. Does not the Lord go out before you?' So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army before Barak by the edge of the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled away on foot." and Barak pursued the chariots and the army to Harasheth Haggai, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. But Sisera fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin the king of Hazor and the house of Heber the Kenite. And Jael came out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not be afraid. So he turned aside to her into the tent, and she covered him with a rug. And he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a skin of milk and gave him a drink and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the opening of the tent, and if any man comes and asks you, Is anyone here? Say no. But Jael, the wife of Heber, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand. Then she went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple until it went down into the ground while he was lying fast asleep from weariness. So he died. And behold, as Barak was pursuing Sisera, Jael went out to meet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you are seeking." So he went into her tent, and there lay Sisera dead, with the tent peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the people of Israel. And the hand of the people of Israel pressed harder and harder against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. Judges 5:24 through 27 and 31. Most blessed of women, be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite, of tent-dwelling women most blessed. He asked for water, and she gave him milk. She brought him curds in a noble's bowl. She sent her hand to the tent peg, and her right hand to the workman's mallet. She struck Sisera. She crushed his head. She shattered and pierced his temple. Between her feet he sank he fell he lay still between her feet he sank he fell where he sank there he fell dead so may all your enemies perish O lord but your friends be like the sun as he rises in his might and the land had rest for 40 years the word of the lord
1: good morning i'm uh, howard brown the pastor here at christ central church and um, As we continue in our study through the book of Hebrews, and in particular, this tour, through the characters and stories mentioned in what is often referred to as the Hall of Faith, today we look at the story of Barak, or Barak, I'm going to say Barak because that's more familiar for some reason, (laughs) maybe the name of our president or something like that, but um, In Hebrews, mentioned in verse 32, says this, and I'll read 32 and then 34 for you. And what more shall we say? For time would fall, would would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David and Samuel and the prophets. And then jump down to 34. How they? How during those? I'm sorry. Let me read through 34 who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. So this book of Hebrews shows up, shows the list of people and events, and then in verse 34 it describes what went on with the people in verse 32. And so if we were to match Barak to one of these descriptions, definitely his would be made strong out of weakness. Why? All because he relied on two women to help him win a war. Thousands of years ago in Israel's history, they had people called judges, leading them instead of kings or presidents. And when you think judges, I want you to not think Judge Mathis or Judge Judy or Judge Ginsburg, but more like Sylvester Stallone as Judge Dredd. With the authority of the law and the long gun, right, of gavel and gat, judges were warlords. Warlords deputized and authorized to command the whole army of Israel or strike, the, or strike with comic books, superhero power to defend. And what we see most in the book of Judges to deliver God's people from area kings and warlords. Needless to say, these were unstable times. Canaan, the promised land, right, was a wild, wild west of the Middle East, and Israel was trying to simply get theirs and keep theirs that God promised and gave them, but God's people back then were not much different than God's people today. They got caught up wanting to have and be what others around them were and had, and when they would act out of character, God would let a neighboring national evil power bully, beat them up. And then he would come and beat the bully up that he let teach his people a lesson. Things would go well for a while in the book of Judges, and then his people would once again get greedy or ungrateful or forgetful of him. And the cycle would begin again. At this time in the history of judge-led Israel, they were being led by a woman Judge named Deborah, which complicates things a bit because as far as ancient judges, she performed what looked like half of the job description. She was all law and wisdom and justice and prophecy, but she did not execute the fighting and war side of things. That's where Barak comes in. He was like the other half. Some would say that they were judges together because he was a military part of her administration. But he's never actually called a judge by the scripture. Here's where I'm going to leave it. Deborah was a judge and head of Israel at the time. And Barak was her right hand comrade to do what needed to be done by her as judge. But that she could not do. She describes herself as being a mother over Israel. But y'all, this is not the text to use to talk about women's role in church and all that. Don't even go there. Loose that for a minute so we can get to the lesson God wants us to learn. But the fact that she was leading as a woman and prescribed herself as having to be the mother of of the country at a time at the time matters though, in understanding the faith of Barack and, and, and the faith God offers us. The Bible's actually using the world's stereotypical twists on gender to show you and me the atypical and amazing love and power of God in the lives of the humiliated and of the proud that we need and have a God who loves. Like a mama. And there are three things I want us to see from this passage today. That first, we need the comfort of God in our lives. Secondly, we need humility from God. And finally, we have a God who mothers both the weak and the proud. We need comfort. From God, we need humility from God, and we have a God who mothers both the weak and the proud. Well, like I said, it was one of those times in the book of Judges when God's people were, were pinned and pimped, if you will, and, and getting their proverbial lunch money taken by the powerful and controlling King Jabin and his army captain, Sisera. And Deborah calls up her military-led military led by Barak to deliver the people of God from the heavy-handed rule of King Jabin and against his military leader Sesera. And this is what happens. Look at verse 1 with me in the judges passage. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Remember, they, they were doing well, and then they started acting up after Ehud died, another judge. Now the Lord said to them, "Sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The command of his his army was Sisera, who lived in this crazy name place." Thank you, Anne. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, for he had what nine hundred chariots of iron, and he oppressed the people of Israel cruelly for twenty years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lepidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the people of Israel came up to her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abedon, from Kadesh, Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Naphtali and the people of Zebulun. And I will draw out Sisera, the, the general of Jabin's army, to meet you by the river Kishon, and his chariots and his troops, and I will give him into your hand. Barak said to her, if you will not go with me, I will not go. If, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, the road on which you are going will not lead to your glory. For the Lord will sell Sesera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah rose and went with Barak to Kadesh. And Barak called out Zebulon and Naphtaliah to Kadesh. And 10,000 men went up, went up on, at his heels. And Deborah went up with him. I want you to recognize what Barak is declaring and admitting. That God has called him to do. And be something that he is too afraid, that he is too inadequate or weak to do, and that he won't go unless God's comfort and assurance and word, seen and operating in Deborah, the prophetess and mother of Israel, go with him. Deborah says, I'll go. For sure. Into battle. But there's a hitch. There's a catch. There's a barb. A woman will get props for beating Sesera and not you. For this patriarchal male-led society of ancient times, it was interesting enough that the Bible mentions that Deborah led Israel. But for Barak to ask this prophetess to go into battle with him is like saying, unless my mama goes with me on the interview... Or to try out for the team. Unless my mama gets on the sticks and helps me get past the boss level. Or go with me when I deal with my wife on this tough issue. Unless my mom goes with me on the football field. Or when I talk to my teenager about this or that. When I confess this same shameful sin. Basically, that when I am called to man up and show up and stand up in this world like I am called, I need my mama to go with me. This happened to me once, maybe twice, but once I remembered. I got called out on it, too. I went to this sports shop with my mama to get my football gear for the year. This was well before the big box stores like Dick's and Academy. And so we were in this small, narrow sports store in an old building in downtown Charleston. And the shop owner is like, we don't have all the helmets down here. So you've got to go up to the attic with me to try them on. I was like 12 or 13 or so. No way. I'm following that creepy guy up those creepy stairs. And I remember there was a moment by, you know, was a moment right there with my mom and the shop owner, like, you'll be okay. You want your mama to go too? And I was like, yeah. Mama, can you go with me to try on this football helmet? And when we got up there, it was not that big of a space and no place to sit. And it was one of those awkward, you needed your mama to come up here that bad? And then another kid was up there. And then either my mama, the shop owner, said, look, he don't need his mama up here. Why do you... And I looked over this guy, you know, one of these typical 12-year-olds in a 17-year-old body. Like he was like the real football player. I eventually ended up being in a band. But <laughs> he puts on his helmet. His mama ain't there. He up there by himself. And he laughs. Worse than that. Got a couple of stories for y'all. When I was in seminary, I did a summer internship up out in Northern California. And then people up there, they love to camp. They some camping people. I'd never been camping in my life. It's a very Northern California Anglo thing to do. To camp out in the woods. Not there ain't some brothers that go camping. I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying <laughs> I wasn't out of my, I was out of my element. Okay, there you go. It was stepping out of my culture. I was doing multicultural ministry. (laughs) So uh, I wasn't the only one who went to Northern California. A friend of mine, Chad Brewer, who's now a pastor in the PCA. Um, I think he might be in Minnesota, but anyway... um, and we in, uh, he was in another part, and so I had to wait for him to get to where I was so we could drive up there together to the campsite. Now, I was staying with a family, and the family I stayed with had a campsite, and they invited us to go. So we showed up late. So the family was there all day, and we're driving up these dark roads going to the campsite. Campsites are dark, y'all. <laughs> There's no lights, right? There's campfire, but it's dark, and we had to find the right site. And on the way up, we're talking about mountain lions and bears. (laughs) You know, when I was in California at that time, there was a lot of mountain lion attacks because people like to run in the area where mountain lions are. I don't know why. Um, And so we're talking about bears and how you couldn't leave your lunch out and all that kind of stuff. So we get there. It's dark. Our tent is already pitched, and we get into the tent. We see um, the mom, Kim, the husband, Frank, and then they had a son. And they went into the cabin on the site. We went into the tent on the site. So we gather our bed. About two hours later, we hear footsteps. Boom, boom, boom. And like this rattling noise. And then crunch, 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 all outside the tent. Somebody must have left the cooler with some Oreos or something. What did I do? (laughs) I jumped on Chad's side of the tent on his sleeping bag with him. (laughs) And I let out a blood-curdling scream. Not Mr. Cognato, but Kim! (laughs) The mama. Like three times. Kim! There's a bear! Save us! Whatever it was went away, and Kim didn't come. (laughs) But let me tell you, if she did, I would have been in that woman's arms. (laughs) Y'all got room in y'all cabin for me? Y'all love me out with the bears, but that ain't the big deal, right? I called for the mama in the family. There was something that told me, if that's mama bear, there's another mama bear, and they were going to work it out, and I was going to be safe. But, boy, here is where it gets bad and shameful, right? Because Chad says, (laughs) wait till we get back to seminary. (laughs) I can't wait. And, man, I heard that story like 10 times. Deborah lets Barack know in so many words in this request, you cry for help in this way for a woman? The world will see you in this nation like Mama's boys, like punks, like wusses." You know what? Men, stereotypically, I'm staying stereotypical, don't get mad, Pastor Brown, that was very sexist. No. Get get over it. There's a sermon for that. This ain't the one. But men stereotypically always buck against being saved or beat by a woman. A woman beat you. Really? Yes. Get in a fight with a girl. A girl beat you. The girl beat you. First of all, we going to beat you for beating the girl. But if the girl beat you, you really got a problem. That is not all that to it, it. It being publicly, it outwardly proclaimed that you are a mama's boy and that a being on the parochial on purpose here, side here, that a girl beat you, or you went home to cry to your mama, or you needed a woman to your to, to woman to do your job as a man is simply humiliating. We went to Wrightsville Beach. Got lots of stories today. Went to Wrightsville Beach for vacation and family was in the, at this restaurant and Kelly was near the window on my side. Here's the story clearly so I don't look too bad. I let her go in to save her from hot plates passing by. <laughs> I always take the outside just in case something happens. I got to run to save the family. So she was sitting near the window, and the boys were on the other side of the booth. And we were sitting there waiting for our food in some kind of bug. I'm serious, some kind of unidentified, long-winged, long-legged thing flew right in front of us and on the window, and immediately the boys and I popped up and got out of there. <laughs> and Kelly took her slipper off. Urban woman about to get in a fight style, like, boom. And bam, bam, that thing was dead on the window. Relief, right? No! Because the first thing, I mean, me and the boys were standing there like this in the middle of the restaurant, as far away from her and the bug as we could get. And it was, no, because the first thing she pointed out in vibrant, dramatic style was, look at (laughs) y'all. I am the woman. And y'all three big men left me to kill the bug on the window. And then she said it, I can't wait. To tell how y'all left me to defend myself and take care of protecting y'all. And came through on it. And she came through on it as soon as the waitress came back. Glad it wasn't a guy waitress. The story not only of the bug, but of a mama and wife victory and a husband and son retreat. And boy, did we have excuses. I got out so you could get out so I could get back in. You killed it before I got there. It wasn't a dangerous bug. It was a mosquito hawk. It wasn't that scary. Deborah was a woman in an extraordinary position as a judge and a prophetess. Because God showed he was speaking and with his people through her. And Barak recognized that if Deborah went to war with him, it meant God was going to, it meant God's comfort and strength. For what his weakness, a weakness that the world would call shameful and laugh at. What am I saying here? We are honest with ourselves, and I am not sure we can be or will be at this point. Because we fight that kind of humility, most of us here. I know I do. But we all need and require and want deep down God's mama kind of comfort in this world sometimes. There's somewhere and something that has whipped us and scared us and humiliated us out of our lives and bigger than us and smarter than us and we need help, we need a blanket, we need to see God looking over us like hey mama does, right? It's funny. What does every football player say on camera, even if he has a daddy? Hi, Mom. It's funny. I've said this before. Chris Rock, the comedian, says, Mom gets all accolades on TV. Hi, Mom. How you doing, Mom? I want to thank Mama. Hugging Mama at the draft. Whatever. What's Daddy get? The big piece of chicken. That's all. But he is saying, but it's often true. Mama is going to be there and be okay if you're broken and weak and will be the first one on the field with comfort and softness and not a typical get up, boy. You okay? It ain't that bad. Boy, used to hate if I get hurt and dad was the first one there. What's wrong, boy? Just rub some dirt on you. you all right? Get up. Get up till somebody see you. Get up, Craig. Get up. y'all. <laughs> all right, for those who don't know that, that's all right. Get up, Craig. Like, get up, boy. You got knocked down. Get up. Don't be weak. Don't be soft, man, please. And dad really is hurting. He don't want you to be hurt, but he would love you to go, Whoa, I'm good. Yeah. Infection set in. Deal with it later. You okay, it isn't that bad know the love of a mom and the multifaceted love of God says I'm gonna go with you I'm gonna be there with you in your fear because I know it's that bad I know how scared you are and I ain't going nowhere Years ago, Ted Turner thought he was burying Christians in shame by declaring that Christianity was a religion for wimps, and he was inadvertently pointing to the freeing and liberating truth that we all need. Because we are broken, and this world is broken, and something's going to come flying in, or somebody's going to ask you to go to some creepy place up high somewhere in your life, and you, and and whether because of inadequacies or sin or some kind of fear you shouldn't have, because of uh, we have not manned up or womaned or grown up enough. I don't care what your title might say or what position you might have earned, whether it's dad or mom or executive or single and facing the world alone or sick or disabled. We all. Need and it's okay. No, 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 it's more than okay. It's right to admit, Lord, we need the comfort that only you can give. Even if it means that I won't get the glory, but you will. Even if the whole world thinks you can't handle even the simplest things, you fool. You need to call on God. You need to go to prayer meeting. You always go to that community group. You're sitting up on Sunday morning, two hours in church with the rest of the weaklings in the world. Welcome to God's grace. Let me make this clear. Your need of and call for the comfort of God is faithful living. Let me say this one more thing. Hear me clearly. The power of God is not and will not be at work in your life until... Here, th- this ain't just true here in this story. It's true throughout the Bible. that the, the power and work of God will not be in your life the way it should until there is admitted and obvious weakness and need of God's comfort in your life. It is inconsistent to have faith in Jesus if you aren't weak. It doesn't match your humanity even. Even if you're not a Christian, you're not human. If you don't come to this place in your life, To say, I'm so weak. I need God to help me. I ain't got nothing left. You can't and shouldn't do life without a crutch. (laughs) If I see a believer living without a crutch, per se, If I see a believer living without a cane of his mercy or on a gurney of some sort, being carried around like some sort of weakling, then I don't really see a Christian growing in grace. If you're crossing through this life on your own because you just got it together, something, you may not be a believer. (laughs) The option to weakness before a need for God's comfort is being humbled by God. So on one side you have mama's boy Brock. I'm trying to say that, 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 that he was perfect because he was weak. He, he was weak, okay, for whatever reason it may be. This is not a moral dilemma. This is the gospel, okay? So we're not getting into whether Barack was weak because he was just a humble guy. I don't even know if the guy was humble, Maybe he didn't trust God great in and of himself. Maybe he should have trusted God to go all along. When Deborah said go into battle, he should have said, oh, okay, good. I'm ready to go. Like, like We don't know whether he did wrong or didn't wrong or was, oh, needed, didn't get enough counseling or whatever. He had childhood issues. We don't know. But what we do know is God went with him and worked in his life regardless of the reason he was weak. Don't get caught up on the reason. God's not. By his grace, he's caught up on giving you salvation in your weakness. Okay? I had to say that. That wasn't even in there. That was free. So on one side, you have mama's boy, Barak, and the other side, Cesare, right? Cesare, the commander of the army of King Jabin, the man. I mean, you see why Barack was afraid? Look at the description between the two. Barak's army has 10,000 people, and that sounds like a lot of folk. But the Bible says Caesarea had 900 iron chariots. Okay, don't let the numbers fool you because you think 900 to 10,000. It looks like the 10,000 are going to win. No, 900 iron chariots means this, that Barak has 10,000 untrained villagers carrying pitchforks against 900 tanks to go, with, to go with the regular military personnel. In other words, the Bible is saying this is not all Caesarea has. This is the best he has. So he probably had 10,000 armed soldiers and 900 ancient version of tanks. If that's not enough, he's used to beating God's people. He's in their heads, man. They've been oppressed for 20 years. He doesn't need comfort or mama to go into battle with them. He has his record. He has his strength. If this was a modern-day college football game, they wouldn't even show it on TV. You'd have to go to AM radio to find it. They would just report the stats. They wouldn't even report it on the ESPN. It would just be on the bottom ticker. Sassara, 70, Israel, zero, right? All starters are pulled in the third quarter. You know, one of those. Even the band people got to play. Sassara and the were thinking they were putting out a little fire on the way to their blaze of Middle Eastern glory. Will they go into war the fourth quarter. And Caesarea realized they're not going to (laughs) win. In fact, the Bible says it was a rout. Why? Well, we know why. Barak says, if you don't go with me, I'm not going to go. He recognized it was God going with him in the person of Deborah. In fact, the Bible tells us in the passage of the war that God goes out and he beats Caesarea. And then Barak and his army wins. Okay. So he realized, I don't know what happened, but we're going to lose y'all. And it's an upset by Barak and Israel and God, and Cecil runs away. He gets out of his iron chariot, yeah, and runs to what he thinks is a safe house since there was a peace between his king and a village he runs to. And he finds a woman. You know what this is? He don't want to shake after the game's over, right? He's running. And he runs to the village, and he finds a woman named Jael home alone in her tent. But little does Barak know she's defected. She don't like him. She calls him in, lets him lay down after giving him some milk. They didn't have a lot of ice back then, so I wonder what kind of milk she had. Maybe some thick yogurt kind of milk. I don't know, in the Bible, in the poem, it says she gave him curds. Anybody know what that mean? Is that fermented milk like they have in Mongolia, is it? Okay, it's, it's cottage cheese, y'all. I'm thirsty. Give me some cottage cheese. You don't go, but it worked. <laughs> and the Bible says, <laughs> after he's drinking some cottage cheese milk of some sort, <laughs> what's that stuff you get in the kefir, after drinking some kefir? <laughs> the village, he, 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 the, the, he lays down and she puts a blanket on him. Dude is comfortable. And while he sleeps, she nails his head to the ground by hammering a tent peg. Think tent peg like the ones at the carnival, Right? like two or three feet long through his temple and anchors his head to the ground. They had big tents because that was their house, right? So it had to be anchored. While what Jael did was amazing and cunning, it was Cesare's pride in himself in his ability to command and make demands of his world, his pride, not understanding his weakness and vulnerability that led him to drink milk and go to sleep with such false confidence in himself and this life while he was at war against God. I kind of have a guilty pleasure in watching the show Snapped. You ever seen that show, Snapped? Snapped? which is about murderous women, mainly who've had enough, and that's it. And it's interesting because it's like, man, women kill too? Oh, yeah. They kill you dead. <laughs> and it's funny how they often kill though, right? The man, here's the story. She was getting beat up by him for years, or he was cheating on her, blah, 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 for years, or something like that. And it says, and he, he died after four months of drinking rat poison in his tea. He took to work every day. Pride! I'm doing wrong! I don't care! Give me my tea, woman. And he's dying! Or he turned his head at dinner one day, and the pot went across his head, and he had a contusion, and he died. Like, something like that! Why? Or he went to sleep that night, but he didn't wake up the next morning. These stories tell us not about the strength of the woman. It wasn't like she out-wrestled him. He went to sleep in the pride of his sin. And when he woke up, he woke up on the other side. Y'all know what arrogance looks like? On we don't know which side. I'm thinking the underside. Look at Sisera, right? Arrogance has two sides. Number one, I'm confident in myself. Like those chariots that he abandoned protected and held up as okay and powerful by my works or some of us by our goodness. I'm a pretty good dad. I'm a pretty good man. I'm this. I'm that. I'm doing my thing or by my power apart from God and second side of pride, the comfortable tents of this world of it's not so bad and dangerous and fallen and sinful that I can't control it or shouldn't be comfortable living and sleeping in it. It's not that bad. I'm good. I'm cruising and dancing and sleeping and winning through this world I'm resting y'all I'm asleep in the dark right I'm in darkness that is a formula for destruction and defeat before God in this world the Bible tells us in another place that there seems a way right unto a man but at the end there is destruction Look, that is terrifying that you could live your whole life. And I know some of you are not walking with God. So I want you to hear this in particular. You could live your whole life walking in the way of worldly accolades, right? And money and high salary and victory and and 20 years of always winning, right? Years and years of winning. And the end of it is a tenth spike to the head, right? A shameful crushing of your big headed living. And while this is a human issue, men and women, I must call out, fellas, dudes, in particular, our arrogance, have we got it? Acting like you don't need nobody or nothing helping you and you got this figured out i'm doing good just let me rest in my life and, and get what i need i don't need god i just need a little break i'm the man or even if it isn't that amp just sleeping through life confident in what y'all because you got money in the bank because you because c- you work out what Resting without God for the demands of your world. Listen, people, listen, guys, running away and outrunning your problem for now is not the same as escaping them. Ask Cesare. Oh, you can't running away from hard relationships and responsibilities or health issues or the mixed-up feelings aside or your children or having to work hard or running away from your embarrassing thing or your failures in life, your self-created disasters, running from those things in the fourth quarter when it looks like you're going to lose, is not escape. You've hit the wall and met your match in God in your arrogance and you are not outrunning anything. You are running towards God's humbling of you. Either now... Or later let me say something about God that I see in his word nothing of that kind of God so some private prayer time It don't work like that God can't stand people who try to live in defiance of him and his glory trying to do good and be good on their own thinking they doing good all by themselves he crushes the proud. I hope you see it. When life got hard, Barack, who became weak, the weak mama's boy got Deborah. <laughs> Cesaro, the ag- arrogant, who doesn't need the Lord, in his pride, gets jail. But here's the good news. We all have an opportunity to get Jesus. God comes for the weak and the proud to save us from ourselves. After this battle, Deborah sings a song, and you, and you have part of it. Not only put the part of jail in there to help highlight the main story, but to have a woman take glory for the defeat of Sisera and for the victory of, the Barak, of, of Barak is the same thing as saying, God saved us. <laughs> Through these women... Through the overlooked thing in person, God was with us and defeated our greatest enemies. Deborah even describes herself again in the song as a mother of Israel. The, The Lord and God of the Bible is the father of Israel, but he loves like a mama. He comforts and he goes with the weak, but he has snapped on the strong that would abuse his name and his people. Here's the problem. We're all too weak. We're too arrogant to face our world alone. And in Jesus, and through relationship with Him, because of what He has done, we have comfort and rescue. When Deborah went with Barak into battle, it was God with him. When Jesus came to Earth, He became God with us, sharing. And seeing and being with and comforting us, comforting us in our weakness. And when he died on the cross and rose again, he told the disciples, things are going to get crazy when I leave. You will be the weak ones in this world, in the world's eyes. You will get fired, you won't be the rich ones, you won't be the powerful ones. When you decide to follow me, your power will get lost. Some of you will lose your families. Some of you will lose your place in life. You'll be so weak. You'll be easy picking for the world. He says, but if you got me, I have not left you alone. The words he used, I have not left you comfortless, but I have left you the Holy Spirit, whom he called God the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, capital C, and God the Comforter has and will come to live in you and be with you, that we need not let our weakness turn to fear, that would stop us from being what God called us, that by his word and through the fellowship of his saints and prayer, through the ministry of the gospel, that we would feel and know the arms of God around us, the eyes. Of God seeing us and watching over us, and God like a mother loving us when no one and nothing is right, not even us. When I was younger, I watched some scary movie I wasn't supposed to watch. I think it was Wolfen. Y'all don't know about that. Or Jason or something like that. And I couldn't sleep. My mama told me not to watch it, but I did it anyway with my cousins when she wasn't around. I was terrified. My dad was like, you shouldn't have watched that. Serve you right. He'll get sleepy enough to go to sleep. And he was right. But mama, oh, my mama, she gently came into my room. She took the Bible and read and explained the 91st Psalm to me, told me I was under the wings of the Almighty and no harm could take me me away. And then she tucked me in. Yeah, and gave me some warm milk, (laughs) like in the story, but for my good. Then she laid the Bible, I remember, at the foot of my bed. Just, you know, wasn't no magic power, just a thing. And then she sat in the chair in the corner until I went to sleep, until I got through the night, and she did it the next night too. I don't know if you ever had a mom like that or a dad like that or a person like that in your life, but You can because God loves like that through his holy spirit. Just admit it, you need that. You long for that. And it's right and good and okay. God is offering that and giving and has given that. Man, don't you want to fall into the arms of somebody stronger than you for once? Don't you want to be just collapse? I knew some you know, sometimes I do. My mom and I've all been gone for 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 8 9 years now. But sometimes I'm like, dog, I just, I just want somebody to love me, you know, with no expectation. You know, just, I want to be a mama's boy. But I can be in Christ and still be a man. And for Cesar and each one of us, close here. Running in fear from and in the world or standing in the power of your own might, or standing in the power of your own good news, I want you to hear the real good news. You can stop running. You can stop depending on your strength and your chariots. You can stop feeling found wanting, defeated, lonely, a fake general in a pretty, real, and harsh world. You can truly rest, y'all. This ain't no performance. This me telling you a testimony, not my testimony, the testimony of numerous people in this church and across history who found rest in faith like the book of Hebrews says, because God invites by his Holy Spirit sinners to come in under his tent. And when I say sinners, I'm talking about sinners like Sesera who fight God every inch and away who've had God in their minds under their feet for 20 years, controlling Him, winning. He calls us into His tent safe from sin and even our arrogant and messed up and anti-God lives. It says, rest from your works, rest from trying to be good, rest from being bad all by yourself. Rest like a mama, right? Come in, get some refreshment. And what God does, though, is what the gospel story tells us. Y'all hear this. So you can find rest from our restless, arrogant, driven, and hurt souls. God let you find rest and redemption. And he drove three stakes through Jesus. On the cross, for your arrogance, Christ was shamed like a mama's boy. He was called out as a weakling for our runaway and stand away from God's sins. On the cross he put to death our sinful pride and took the punishment for your sin and trying to live above against without him. Jesus did this so that the Caesarea in you and me might be free to live like the Barak who humbly rest And move and win in the wisdom and comfort of the Holy Spirit. That God, and we'll celebrate this in a minute, with a love of mom, gives and offers you more than cookies and milk, but in Christ, the body and blood of Jesus. So that you need not run, And live and cower. Hear this. Like a mama's boy or distressed little girl. But rather live in the freedom and faith and rest of a son and daughter at home in the tent of God's grace. Where are you? Where are you? you resting in that tent of God's grace are the stakes meant for sinners in Christ in your life or are you going to are you headed toward destruction the Lord is full of grace he's a God who's powerful and loves like a mama let's pray. Heavenly Father, call us in. We are out there running, confident, moral, acting all goody two shoes. And because he won't admit our weakness and our sin, we're living in a false confidence, so many of us. And for believers here, we've forgotten. We were accepted like Barack in the weakness and were given the comfort of the Holy Spirit, but we've decided somehow and forgot, and now we're living like a warlord (laughs) with no confidence but outside of ourselves. Forgive us, Lord. I pray right now for those who don't know you. I am so glad whether whether they admit it or not, Lord, whether we admit it or not, if we're not believers, that we have hit that wall. I pray that they would hit that wall hard, that they would lose, that they would be routed by God and have to step down out of their iron chariot. But Lord, my prayer today, let them find Jesus in the tent of grace and not destruction today thank you for what you did in Christ. Be with us, I pray. In Jesus' name.